Hi, I'm Yusuf Zin. My latest TVO Today podcast is on how a Canadian ends up in a Chinese prison, and if he's even alive. Listen and subscribe to Extradition. Available now, wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to a TVO podcast. I'm Colin Ellis, and you're listening to On Docs, a podcast about documentaries and the stories they tell. Today I'm speaking with filmmaker Aaron Hancocks about his new doc, Running Wild, The Cats of Cornwall, which tells the story of a city wrangling with its feline population. It is a feline free-for-all in Cornwall. The feral cats have taken over neighborhoods. They're breeding and feeding, and they're using the whole street as a litter box. I get a lot of messages. Can you take this kitten I found? I don't have a clue how many litters I've saved. Whenever we did protests, we had like 300 comments, 250 probably against us. Cornwall, Ontario is a small town of 47,000 people, and they've had a feral cat problem for years. How big of a problem? Well, in 2017 alone, the SPCA picked up over 700 cats in Cornwall. Barrie, on the other hand, has 147,000 people, but they only picked up 360 cats that year, so you might see the problem. Now, I love cats, and I even have a couple of my own. Bodie, say hi. But to the town of Cornwall, cats can be a real nuisance. An invasive species, even. You might be asking why these cute little fuzzballs became a problem. Dr. Bridget Stutchbury from York University says that cats killing local birds can lead to huge changes in an ecosystem. Birds are what I call blue-collar workers. They move seeds around. They eat insects. And so when you take like a really important player in an ecosystem and just take it out altogether, then things are going to change in that ecosystem. The forest won't be as healthy. There's also the safety of the cats to be concerned about. Enter Melissa and Mary Jane. They're two dedicated cat rescuers who spend an extraordinary amount of time trapping, neutering, and releasing cats. They also wage a long battle with the city of Cornwall's leaders to do something about the town's cat problem. It was really easy to identify the, the people I needed to speak to. There, there had already been some local newspaper articles written about them. And so I thought that was a really compelling part of the story was that they hear that there's these two women that are really sticking their neck out and have real skin in the game to try and uh, fix the problem. That's Aaron Hancocks. He'll join me in a second to talk about Cornwall's cat crisis. Stay with us. I want to just ask you how you came across this story about cats in Cornwall. Sure. Um, well, as a bit of background, I should say that um, um, I am a cat man, and um, I'm always interested <laughs> in in uh, anything to do with cats. Uh, but my partners and I at Markham Street Films had made a couple of films about um, domesticated animals, and they were really rewarding experiences, and the films did reasonably well. But in the rollout of these projects, we kind of developed a community um, of uh, animal welfare workers that were really supportive of, of what we were doing and helped kind of amplify our, our, our message. But the idea of the environmental impacts of uh, feral cats was something that we had also been interested in for a while. Um, and I, I myself have two adopted cats that were both born feral. And um, it was, I think, the summer of 2018 that uh, the situation in Cornwall actually popped up on my radar and probably because I have some family in eastern Ontario that are really dialed into to news in that region. And um, uh, I, 
and then I, I think I just it, the situation down there sounded so interesting that I just had to go down and check it out for myself and 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 meet the people there, and that's kind of how this whole thing started. Well, yeah, I guess you could tell us a bit about just how it became an issue in Cornwall in the first place. I mean, um, you know, because I I'll be you know I've I'd never heard of you know um, cats being you know uh, a problem for the environment before. That was that that was completely news to me. I'm sure it's news to a lot of people. So maybe you could just tell us how that kind of started, how the the population of cats started to kind of um, explode in Cornwall. Yeah, sure. I mean, the interesting thing is that Cornwall is really. Um like a lot of places, or I should say there are many Cornwalls around the world and around Canada. Um, The situation in Cornwall started, I guess the easiest way to say it is that there had been a lot of uh, cats that were allowed to roam freely um, for years. And when cats roam freely, if they're not fixed, they tend to populate. And and unless that's controlled, it can get out of hand really quickly. Um, Cats... A female cat that's not fixed can have you know, multiple litters in a year, and each litter can have you know a dozen or so cats. So um, it, it's the kind of situation that if you don't tackle it, it will get exponentially worse over time. And my understanding is that Cornwall had tried to address the problem about ten years ago, and essentially the city and um, their their charitable partners just kind of rolled out of steam and rolled out of money. And so over the better part of 10 years, the situation had gone more or less unfixed, pardon the pun. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and uh, it reached, I guess, you know, crisis proportions a couple of years ago. What was interesting about Cornwall uh, is that because it is a smaller city, there's only 47,000 people, um, it was very easy to identify, you know, two individuals who were trying to fix this problem more or less on their own. Um, mm-hmm. Whereas if it was a bigger city, there may have been a, a, a larger groundswell of, of volunteers and people trying to trying to do something. It was really easy to identify the, the people I needed to speak to. There, there had already been some local newspaper articles written about them. And so I thought that was a really compelling part of the story was that the, here the, there's these two women that are really sticking their neck out and have real skin in the game to try and uh, fix the problem. The city of Cornwall dropped the ball many years ago. There should have been money into the budget every year. We wouldn't be in this uh, predicament right now. We wouldn't be. The city doesn't fund to help them, and a lot of people find that the cats are disposable. Kitten gets old, not as cute. Put them outside, they're not fixed. What do you think happens? I want to come back to them in a, in a bit, but I, I want to ask if, uh, you know, just in terms of numbers, if, you, if you're able to share I guess, you know, what percentage of, or how many cats are estimated in Cornwall? So I can't really, (laughs) I would just say a lot. Um, That's the interesting thing about the science of feral cats is we can't really know how many there are because Mm. feral cats go out of their way to hide from humans. Um, So you can't really get an accurate number. I will say that there are a lot of cats and it's, the estimates are in the many, many thousands. And mm. um, there are some stats that I can give you, however. Uh, so the OSPCA uh, is the, you know, the provincial uh, shelter of record. And the overwhelming majority of, or I should say, the greatest number of cats in the province of Ontario that any shelter takes in comes from Cornwall. 
uh, not from Toronto, not from Hamilton, from Cornwall. Uh, they represent the, the the greatest number of cats that any of their branches takes in. They take in so many cats that they actually send them around the province to be rehomed um, by the, the other shelters. Um, so that's just an anecdotal piece of evidence that you can see, wow, there's you know more coming in here than there are, there are in Newmarket. And of course, Cornwall is only 47,000 people. Um, but kind of any way you look at estimates and, and the way you break down different models, if you compare the number of cats that might be in Cornwall to the population, it's, it's very easy to see that there's probably more cats per capita in Cornwall than anywhere else in the country. Is it, is it a problem because it's a rural community and also a lot poorer? Or is it, I mean, is this a problem that we see in, in urban centers as well? You, you can see it in urban centers. I know that um, Hamilton has a, a problem with uh, their feral cat population. Um, and income does tend to play into it. Um, if, if the reality is that if you're forced to choose between putting food on the table and fixing your cat, you're probably going to put food on the table. Um, and so, yeah, income can, can uh, factor in for sure. I think the main, the main issue is that there aren't enough cats that are fixed. And that includes not just feral cats, but owned cats that are allowed to roam freely in, in the Cornwall area. I wouldn't say that um, having rural areas around it is really a problem. In fact, um, cats tend to like to go where there is a denser population because there's more food sources. They can, you know, they can pick through garbage. There's more people there to feed them that they can beg from. So I think really it comes down to... Uh, some isolated areas that had a lot of people that couldn't afford to fix their cats and then the problem just ballooned and ballooned and ballooned until this roaming uh, cat population, owned and unowned, just spread all over the city and became a, a problem that you couldn't ignore anymore. It's not cheap to fix a cat. It's like I think it's $500 in Cornwall to, to get your cat uh, spayed or neutered. Um, yeah. I thought that was really yeah. shockingly high. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it, it is really high. Um, and I, I'm not really sure. There just aren't a lot of good options in the Cornwall area. Um, actually, in, our, in the film, um, you know, our, uh, our animal welfare workers have to drive to another province. Well, I have to drive across the border to Quebec to get their cats fixed because it's so expensive in Cornwall and 500 bucks is, is that's a lot of money for, for anybody. And especially if you're on a fixed income or on a low income, as uh, you know, a lot of people in Cornwall are, that's, that, that's backbreaking. Yeah. Well, cats in Cornwall are, are, I guess, considered an invasive species, um, which is, you know, again, very surprising because they're so cute and we don't really associate cats as being, uh, a problem per se, but um, I wonder if you first could just tell us what makes cats, what, what is an invasive species exactly and what, and why are cats considered that? Sure. An invasive species is a species that is not native to an area that comes to an area and um, prospers at the expense of other species. Um, and when it looks at, when you, when we talk about cats, uh, cats are non-native to North America. I think the only place that they're technically native to would be like um, uh, the Near East and Turkey and areas like that. We're talking thousands of years ago. But cats have been, I'm not talking about wild cats. I mean, wild cats like uh, 
Canadian lynx and cheetahs and mountain lions and stuff. Those are different. But the domestic cat has been a pet for thousands of years. Um, now, when they're indoors, they're not an invasive species. However, a lot of cats are allowed to be indoors and outdoors. And technically speaking, when they are outside of our homes, they are an invasive species. And they will hunt uh, native animals, including birds and rodents and uh, reptiles, at an alarming rate. And they are just prolific hunters. In Canada alone, about 250 million, 250 million birds are killed every year by domestic cats. You mentioned uh, the couple of animal welfare workers uh kind of in the beginning of our conversation, and I want to talk about them now, uh, Melissa and Mary Jane. Uh, what, what, what sort of motivated their interest in, in rescuing cats? Well, uh, Mary Jane uh, has always been an animal lover, and uh, she loves all animals, including cats. And I think she's also somebody who's very passionate in general. I mean, she she uh there's really no filter with mary jane and um when this problem in cornwall really started bubbling up she said enough is enough and she just started buying traps and 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 uh, trapping the cats and getting them fixed uh, with her own money and with you know fundraising efforts melissa um she had actually volunteered at the local shelter in cornwall when she was in high school and um she she felt that there was a real gap in terms of um, kittens because uh, orphan kittens require an incredible amount of work to uh, rehabilitate without mother's milk. I mean, it's 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 just so labor intensive to care for orphaned young uh, neonatal kittens, and so she set up her own um, her own rescue that just handled kittens. And the two of them um, found each other, you know, online as as uh, two people in, you know, with the same kind of interest in seeing this problem resolved. And uh, yeah, that's how they kind of partnered up. And basically, their strategy is they they trap the cats, they get them sprayed, and, spayed, and neutered, or and then they try to find homes for them. And is it, do you know if that that strategy is it is it does it work? Is it helping to keep the population down? Yeah, so so they, there's a strategy called um, trap neuter release or trap neuter return, and um, it's used primarily for feral cats, where there is an existing colony of, of of cats that are unowned that live more or less together outdoors, um, and uh, effectively that population can can obviously boom if they're unfixed and, and if they're continuing to mate. So. Mary Jane will trap those cats, get them fixed, and return them to the, the, the colony where they came from. And the hope is that over time, if you, you fix enough of them, the population will slowly decrease. Now, you can look at anywhere in the world, this, this has been an effective strategy, but it has to be widespread. You have to be able to get a certain threshold, a certain percentage of the cats in that colony in order for it to take effect. And I've, I've heard numbers around 85%. Of course, if you only fix a few of the cats, the other ones are still able to mate. Um, and then Melissa's work is really because uh, so many cats are born in Cornwall. Um, sometimes they become orphaned because something can happen to the mother. They can they can run off. They can be killed. Or some sometimes... Uh, uh, an individual might have a pregnant cat and they don't want to deal with these kittens and they'll just dump them somewhere. And so oh. 
Yeah. And so Melissa um, will just rescue them. If people will contact Melissa and say, I found a box of kittens on the end of my driveway or I found them at the dump or what, what have you. And Melissa will take those cats, rehabilitate them back to health if she can, and then adopt them out. Uh, and so the combination of Melissa's work and Mary Jane's work is, um, is really the kind of two-pronged strategy that they were taking. Now, I think to your, your question about does any of this work, um, it's tough to say. Honestly, there's so many cats, it's hard to say if they're just making a tiny dent. But they, I think it's clear that they need more support and uh, in order for something, in order for their strategy to work. You just need to have more people doing it. You need to have more volunteers. You need to have more money. Um, but I think those strategies can work. TNR can be really effective if it's widespread. And they're and they're doing this like just kind of out of the out of out of the love for the cats. They're not actually getting paid, and and you know they're they're the only ones. It's, it seems just to be the the two of them. I, I can't imagine what kind of toll that must take on them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's <laughs> it's wild. I think this is why you know we wanted to f- make the film about them because uh, it, just the incredible personal sacrifice that they make it, it is it, it is so rare to find in, in anybody. That, that that's why we make films about people like this, right? Um, to try mm-hmm. and understand what makes them tick and to highlight the amazing work that they do. They don't get paid. Um, I mean, Melissa, when she's bottle feeding cats, it's, it's, she has to wake up three times throughout the night. You have to feed them like every four hours, right? Wow. And uh, she's you know, trying to balance a job and, and this. It, it's incredible. I don't know what it is, but... It's half rewarding and half devastating. <laughs> so I do rescue and I go home. Like I don't have a social life or anything. So kittens. And uh, same with Mary Jane. I mean, she's she's out there trapping cats, spending all of her own time, her own gas money, everything. And you know they fundraise to try and pay for this work, but it's it's a slog for sure. So what's the city of Cornwall's approach to the problem then? Well, the city of Cornwall uh, has has really been relatively inactive for some time until recently, um, I'm happy to say. As I mentioned, 10 years ago, there was a concerted effort where the city of Cornwall essentially partnered with the OSPCA to try and do some TNR, some trap-neuter release, and it worked until it didn't, until the OSPCA said, we are completely overwhelmed. We are not making enough of a difference. We need more money. We need more resources. And then the, the problem essentially was ignored uh, or there wasn't the will to do anything by, by city council for years until um, the time when we started making the film, the, the city recognize that something had to be done. And a lot of that I need to give credit to our characters in the film, to Melissa and Mary Jane. They really fought hard. They attended city council meetings. They they spoke to the media, the local media. They, um, they did a lot of work. And eventually the city, over the course of the film, um, recognizes that something has to be done. And there is a uh, a, a survey that was done in the city of Cornwall reaching out to the public to see what 
they wanted done. And there was an overwhelming response that most uh, Cornwallians said, let's, let's fix this problem. And so, uh, spoiler alert, um, (laughs) 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 the end of the film has a, a, you know, a bit of good news, which is that, uh, city council, um, decided that they were going to do something about it and started to implement, um, a, a program to help support the work that is being done. I guess at this point, we're just waiting to see when they're going to actually make the money official and then pass the bylaws. It took us, Melissa and I, to fight this hard. We had to have protests and we had to fight. And I had to run for council. <laughs> I just like, run for council? Me run for council? Come on. You know, there's a debate that I think cat owners have uh, with themselves, which is to whether or not, whether or not you know, a cat should be left outdoors or if they should keep the cat indoors. And I know a lot of, I guess, Cornwall residents let their cats out. And, um, you know, obviously the life expectancy of a cat is much shorter if you do that. Um, I can tell you my, from my own experience, uh, <laughs> letting your cat outdoors is a, a quick way to see them get killed, unfortunately. Um, but I wonder, you know, where, where, what, what you're, where you stand on that? Because I think, you know, my, the reason I'm, I guess, sort of sympathetic to letting them outdoors is because when you, when you keep them indoors, they're just, you know, they don't have, they're basically under a 24 hour quarantine their whole life. And they just, they, there's nothing, there's nothing for them to do. And so, you know, they, they get a little fatter and, and lazier and they, they drive you, well, in my experience, they drive me crazy, uh, especially at night. But, um, I don't know. What do you think of that? Yeah, honestly, it's a tough question. And I started this process with the film being pretty sure that cats should be kept inside. And I ended, I suppose, with the same attitude, but it was it's really hard to make that decision as a cat owner. I myself have two cats. And over the course of filming this film, you can see some of these outdoor cats are just having a ball out there. Um, mm-hmm. And they really are not fully domesticated animals. Like the, we call them domestic cats as a species, but they're only really halfway, uh, they're only half domesticated. Um, oh, I say that as my cat just crawled right in my face. <laughs> um, um, you know, every cat, you can just see the way that any cat interacts with, with a little toy. They are meant to be hunters. And I think most cat owners struggle with this Um, now I should say if you raise your cat as an indoor cat from day one, it's a lot easier because they don't really know what they're missing. Um, and that's kind of sad to, to to say, because you know that no matter what the cat is going to be happier outside. However, (laughs) go ahead, go ahead. (laughs) Well, no, I was going to say, I, you know, I've tried, I live in a, an apartment building 17th floor, so I, I can't really take my cats out. I have a balcony, but it's, it's far too high up and, and, uh, it would be very dangerous for them to be out there. Um, but, you know, when I've tried to take my cats outside, like, you know, just in the little park area on a leash, uh, they can't, they, they freak out. Like they just can't do it. Like they, they, they're scared to death. Like <laughs> they're overwhelmed. I'll hold one of them. Yeah. I'll hold one of them in my arms and he'll just be shivering. And I'm just like, Oh, I'm sorry, buddy. I thought you wanted this. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's, it's, you either have to make a decision early on. Is it going to be an outdoor cat or an indoor cat? And, um, if you are going to have an indoor cat, there's certain things you can do to give that cat a better quality of life. You can try and make it as active as possible. You can get toys that are really stimulating that make them want to chase you all over the house. And that is, that is a better way to do it. 
However, it can be a a lot more work as a CAD owner. The minute you have an indoor CAD that you are responsible for all that kind of physical exercise requirements, that CAD is going to be bugging you constantly to play with it. it <laughs> whereas um, an indoor-outdoor CAD will just roam freely and entertain itself and then come back at the end of the day and not really bug you for that kind of stimulation. I think we have to make some tough decisions as CAD owners about what is responsible. And if we are going to have cats that go indoors and, out and outdoors, we have to acknowledge that they are much more likely to die at a younger age. They're much more likely to get hit by a car. Um, or and, injured. Or injured. Uh, and absolutely, if your cat's going to be roaming around freely outside, it must be spayed or neutered. Well, we have to wrap up our conversation, but I, I want to just kind of close by asking something that you mentioned uh, at the beginning of our conversation about... Uh, as a, you're a cat, you described yourself, I think, as a cat man, and I think you're even working on something about the rise of the cat man in, in popular culture. Can you talk a bit about that? Uh, sure, yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, I've been working on a number of cat films and, and films about small animals for a while with Markham Street Films, and um, uh, my, my, uh, I, I often will direct some of these films with uh, Michael McNamara, and we made a film called Catwalk, Tales from the Cat Show circuit together. And um, really in the process of, of doing all this, I just became really interested in how there are still a lot of taboos around um, men who own cats and, and who publicly display their, their love for them. Um, and uh, I just found that really silly uh, as somebody who's personally really benefited from um, owning cats and has really helped my own mental health. Um, I think it's time that we kind of break through some of these little silly taboos and uh, acknowledge that uh, cats are for everyone and they're not uh, they're not a gendered uh, they're not a gendered animal. <laughs> you know, cats aren't just uh, you know females, uh, and um, and we should uh, embrace the rise of the cat man. I say, and uh, <laughs> I think that uh, there's a lot of people out there who think that. If more men were able to uh, be celebrated for their love of cats, maybe we could uh, um, we could uh, break down some of our own gender stereotypes around men in a, and move that conversation in a more positive way. So it's something that I, I've been really interested in and, and uh, looking into for a while. It's uh, it's another project we hope to make. Well, I look forward to seeing that. I, I and I want to thank you so much for joining me today on Ondocs and. Uh, I really look forward to seeing the rest of your work going forward. That, that sounds awesome that you're doing that. Oh, thanks so much, Colin. Maybe I'll, I'll, I'll give you one more anecdote in case you want to use it, which sure. is, which is a, another way that I kind of came into the, um, this interest in, uh, in feral cats and the, the, how they, uh, they can Im impact the environment. Well, I was on vacation in uh, Sicily a few years ago, and of course, island populations – of animals are tend to be more harder hit by feral cats because uh, uh, feral cats are, are, are non-native to any island. And um, I, as a cat man, I, I found myself getting adopted by three little kittens where I was vacationing. <laughs> <laughs> These three kittens adopted me and I didn't see a mother around. And so I was pretty keen to to take care of these little guys and I was feeding them raw chicken and making sure that they had enough to eat. 
And then one day I heard this incredible growl that sounded like a large predator was outside. And I ran out and I saw that it was one of the tiny kittens making this incredible growl. And it had a whole lizard in its mouth that it was eating. Oh, wow. And uh, at that point I realized maybe I shouldn't be so concerned about these kittens getting everything they need to eat. I think they take, <laughs> I think they take pretty good care of themselves. Uh, but it also was a stark reminder that um, cats, domestic cats, are prolific hunters and they do not hunt just birds. They will hunt rodents and reptiles depending on the climate and, and the region they're in. And we need to acknowledge that these cats are now here and it is humans' fault and we have to find a way to balance the needs of all of these species so that we have a, a better ecosystem, which is ultimately going to impact uh, positively our own human health. That sound they make when they have a, a creature in their mouth is something I'll never forget. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I, they sound, they sound more a, like a dog than a cat, really, at that point. Oh, it's it's scary. I remember hearing my one of my cats when I was growing up. He had a mouse in his in his mouth, and it was just like, okay, I'm going to leave you to to do your thing. <laughs> <laughs> Good idea. Thanks, Aaron. Okay. <laughs> Thank Thanks you. a lot, Tom. Take care. And that's the podcast. Running Wild, The Cats of Cornwall will premiere on TVO at 9pm on Tuesday, November 24th and be available to stream on TVO.org. If you liked what you heard, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and better yet, tell a friend. If you want to get in touch, you can write to us at ondocs at TVO.org and you can follow me on Twitter at ColinEllis81. Thanks to producer and editor Matthew O'Mara, production support coordinators Nikki Ashworth and Jonathan Hollowell, series producer Katie O'Connor and executive producer for digital Laurie Few. We'll catch you at the next screening.